I'm sharing a message series that I'm starting today. It's two, possibly three, three weeks that I'm calling uh, Commission. And so if you've got your Bible, I'd like you to open to Matthew chapter 28, and then we're gonna also gonna be a couple pages forward in Mark chapter four, but Matthew chapter uh, 28 is where we're gonna hang out to begin with. I want you to listen to this opening statement as we, as we dive into this new series. God wants to take what happens to you to accomplish his will in you so that he can fulfill his purpose through you. I wanna say it again so you can hear me because this is like the whole, the, the gist of what we're talking about. God wants to take what happens to you. And I didn't say he caused what happens to you, but God wants to take what happens to you to accomplish his will in you so that he can fulfill his purpose through you. The things that happen to you are the good things and they're the bad things, they're the, they're the blessings and they're the struggles, they're the things that happen to you. One of the mantras that we used when we began New Life Church uh, several years ago was, was that we want to be a church that goes on the mission with Jesus. In our leadership team, we really focus on this. We're not doing our own thing. We don't have our own agenda, guys. We, we're on the mission with Jesus. Jesus already established for us what it is we're supposed to do. Uh, we're on the mission with him. We're partnering with, with Jesus. And that's what we're talking about the next couple of Sundays is what does it look like to be on the mission with Jesus? There's this great commission in Matthew chapter 28 that we're going to take a look at. The word commission is defined as an instruction, a command, or a duty that is given to a person or to a group of people. An instruction, a command, or a duty that is given to an individual or to, given to a group of people. And the Bible talks about this great commission in chapter 28 of, of the Gospel of Matthew. Now, you've got to remember, this takes place after Jesus rose from the dead, but before he ascends into heaven. So it's that, it's that period of time in between when he's still on, on the earth. And Jesus is gathering his followers together, and he gives them kind of some final instructions. So Matthew chapter 28, uh, uh, beginning at, ver let's just look at verse number 18 to begin with. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now let's stop right there. All authority on earth and in heaven has been given to me. In other words, what I'm about to tell you guys, it's not a suggestion. What I'm about to tell you is not just an idea. We're not just brainstorming here. All authority has been given to me. Jesus is saying, I am speaking as the one who has authority to tell you what to do. He, this is... This is the task that he's telling them to do in the following verses, beginning in verse number 19 and verse number 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age." So Jesus gives his followers this, this vision that they're supposed to accomplish. That they're supposed to go to all nations and to make disciples. Not just to people who are close by, but they're supposed to go to people that are outside, in the, outside the region. They're supposed to go even internationally, globally, all nations. And as a church, we want to be intentional about being a great commission church. Can someone say amen? Yes? We, we want to be focusing on not just, not just reaching people here, but we want to reach people everywhere Amen. as best as we possibly can. We want to be a church that, that sends people. And that's why I'm super stoked about our mission trip coming up. We're going to go. By the way, there is a, there's a, a, a caveat there that you can apply for your family. You do not have to go for the entire duration. 
I will probably be going from Friday and coming back on Wednesday night, getting home Thursday morning, driving overnight. You don't have to go the entire, if your vacation doesn't work out to be, you can go shorter because we're driving down there so we can make arrangements, but you should go. Everybody should go. This is, I think, like our eighth or ninth trip we've made down to the, and we want a long-term relationship with these, uh, these precious children that we're ministering to. And so we want, we want to fulfill this mission. We want to fulfill this assignment that Jesus gave us, and that is that we're supposed to go. Now, the purpose of this series is to look at this word commission, really break it down. In fact, what I want to do is I want to look at it a little bit differently. I want to look at the first syllable, and I want to break it away from the rest of the word. So instead of commission, we're going to call it a co Mission, meaning on the mission with or, or the mission together with Jesus. You see, G- when Jesus calls his disciples together, um, he, he doesn't give them this command, uh, go into all the world, preach the gospel, baptizing people, and then he, he doesn't be like, you know, by the way, guys, good luck with that, right on. He doesn't do that. He, he, instead, he, he declares, I'm gonna be with you every step of the way. I will be with you the entire duration, the entire time. God is working in us, through us, and for us. God is working in us, through us, and for us. Notice that's progressive. Now, you need to get this. God works in us, then, then he works through us, and then he works for us. It's a progression. You can't skip ahead, and that's what so many of us try to do. This is probably... Um, a similar message to the messages perhaps you've heard before. If you've ever, if you've ever been a parent, um, then you probably taught your children the same um, main idea in multiple ways because sometimes they just don't get it. And sometimes you gotta wonder, do I have like the stupidest child in the whole world because they're just not getting this. Not, not you guys, I'm sure. Not me, not me, where my kids are, not me. But you, but you know, you gotta try teaching it in different ways. And so we're trying to get this driven home because I think... I think this is really paramount to building your faith. You gotta get this. My hope is you've already begun to pray missional prayers in your life. Prayers like, God, how do you wanna use me? Prayers like, God, how do you wanna make a difference in, in my life? How do, you want, how do you want me to make a difference in that person's life today? God, what, what do you wanna do through me today? Missional prayers like, God, I wanna make a difference. I don't wanna be a space taker. I wanna be a difference maker. That's what I wanna be, God. So how can I be a part of your mission today? Those are missional prayers. Hopefully you're praying those. And all of those are good prayers, but all of those are, are part two prayers. In other words, those prayers are through me prayers, but those prayers are not in me prayers. We've gotta make sure that God is in us, working in us before, before he begins to work through us. It's, it's a powerful thing when this begins to click. So today we're focusing on what does God want to do in us. Next week we're gonna work on uh, what does God want to do through us. But, but this week we gotta get this. If we don't get this, it's like missing the center of a snowball. Uh, it, it, uh, it, it doesn't matter because it's all gonna collapse eventually if you don't have the core in a solid way. So, so we're focusing on what does God want to do in us Turn a couple pages forward in your Bible to Mark chapter four. Mark chapter four, we're gonna be looking at, in this chapter, Jesus is telling this parable of the sower. It's also known as the sower of the seeds. It's pretty much, it's a very familiar parable, but I think you're gonna get some enlightening today. It's recorded also in Matthew chapter 13 and in Luke chapter eight. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic gospels. For those of you that are in ministry training center, we have eight students, and those eight students, 
completed the first session. They completed two classes. They took both of their final examinations through Global University last Tuesday, and one of their classes was called the Synoptic Gospels. Synoptic Gospels just means similar Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are similar Gospels. John is a unique Gospel in the way that it's crafted and, 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 and drafted. I want to give you some context here. Jesus is teaching, and he's standing in a boat just off the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Once again, he's using natural amplification to teach. So he's just off the shore, and he's teaching and, pro- and proclaiming. And as he's doing it, his voice is echoing out. And, um, and um, knowing his audience, Jesus decides he's going to use a particular uh, style of teaching. And the style of teaching is he's going to tell a story, a parable, but he's going to use an, an example of something that's familiar to them. So he's going to use an agrarian example, an agricultural example, a farming example, because that's familiar with the people, the audience that he's talking to. So Jesus describes um, in Mark chapter 4, beginning at verse number 3, he's describing something about, about the parable of the sower. Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell in the rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not um, bear any grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, multiplying 30, 60, or even 100 times." So Jesus describes this seed as it's getting planted in the ground and something happens inside the ground and then the seed produces a harvest. And he's telling us that the the seed is the word of God. The seed is equated with God's word. Um, Here's the challenge. A lot of times we don't see this happening, do we? I mean, it's happening underground. Sometimes there's a lot going on, but it doesn't feel like anything's taking place in our lives. It can be easy to become impatient waiting for God to bear fruit in our lives, waiting for God to bear fruit in our family, waiting for God to bear fruit in our job. And and it seems like nothing is, is happening. There's nothing significant that is going on, but the seed's in the ground and the seed is growing. You just can't see the seed growing at this time, but it will bear forth fruit because that's what seed does. And that's probably, why, um, that's probably why when we talk about this metaphor, we'd rather talk about the harvest than about sowing. Amen. We'd rather talk about the harvest than about sowing because sowing is a whole lot of work. You ever been to a, um, at, what's that place called? Apple Valley, Apple Gate, Apple Hill. There you go. I knew I was going to get to it eventually. Some of y'all have been there, right? And so Apple Hill, or there's places like that that you can do the same thing with strawberries or, or sometimes in, in, in peaches in Georgia. You, what, you, what you do is you go to these, these farms and, and you, know, you go in, you pay some money, and they give you a basket or you bring your own basket because you know, you're just that into farming. You're, so you, and, and you pay some money and you get, to, you get to go pick the harvest. You get to do that. So you feel like you just exposed your children to the farming lifestyle, which really we've exposed them to the harvest lifestyle, right? Um, and so we pick them. It's fine. It's fine. It's good. It's good. Um, it's a pretty good business model, actually, I think. Because people like to see the fruit. They like to see the harvest. Here's not a good business model, all right? Um, um, picture an open field full of brush and weeds, and it's nasty. You know where I'm going already. Some of y'all are really quick. You ask people to pay money, and when they come in, you hand them a shovel and a hoe and some seeds. 
this is going to be a lot of fun for you and your kids. This is going to be great. So you tell them this is your area, and they hoe, and they dig, and they turn the ground over, and they plant the seeds, and you're like, whoa, just wait. Just, just wait. Nobody, nobody would do that. Nobody would pay money for it. Kind of reminds me of the conversation that I had with my children before we sold the farm, so to speak, and moved to Lathrop. We're not going to see anything happen for years. It's going to be really hard. Everything you have, we're pretty much going to sell. Are you in? And they were all in. You were uprooting you from your schools in your senior year and your sophomore year, and we're going to do this because the harvest is going to come. And the harvest, I think, is, is coming. And I say thank you, Lord, for that. Amen? Yes? I'm really, really grateful. Praise God. Now, you have a story just like I have a story. Everybody has a story. But we have to make sure that we magnify the sowing with our families as much as the harvest with our families. Sowing can be a lot of, a lot of work. Um, it, we become impatient because we want the harvest. And we're, we're Americans. We want it now, right? We, we want it now. We want to see the fruit now. But that's not how spiritual growth tends to work. Um, uh, some people get frustrated because they're not seeing the fruit in their, in their life right now because it feels like the seed has been buried in the ground for a long time. And you're starting to wonder, is there ever going to be a harvest? Am I ever going to reap some fruit? Will I ever experience a breakthrough in my life? You ever, you ever seen online these life hacks or seen this television program called Life? I enjoy those. Life hacks, it's a way to make life easier for you. There's some life hacks that are around there. There's all kinds of YouTube videos about this. A life hack is, is a shortcut. Someone takes a, um, a, an, an idea of how to make a common task even more easier and, and more expedient. Here's, a, here's one that I found I thought was kind of cool. Did you know you can turn a toaster sideways, put a slice of cheese on your bread, slide it in the toaster? Grilled cheese, Todd. That's what I'm talking about. Did you know that? Some of you are now glad you came to church this morning. That's because you just, you finally you got something you can use. We love hacks, don't we? I love shortcuts. I mean, who, who doesn't? Why wouldn't you want to save some time? It's kind of part of our culture. We're always looking for something easier, kind of a quicker route. We we tend to want spiritual growth life hacks, too, and, and they just simply don't exist. Here's what we want. Okay, God, going to church today. I'm going to get an answer. I'm going to get an answer. I, what, I'm, I'm going to, and there's nothing wrong. I want you to go to church. I'm going to go to the altar, and I expect, God, that I, my life will be totally transformed when I leave. I think you're on your way, but God never promised in fact, that's not even the pattern of Scripture of how things actually go with God. It's a process, and, and, and he works in the process. Uh, we want to come to a 90-minute church service and leave things being all better. We have ideas of how maybe that should happen. We want it to happen now, but that's not how the harvest works. A couple of examples from the, from the Old Testament. Abraham, he wanted the har harvest because he wanted to be the father of many nations. God had promised him that, but you know, he had to wait over 100 years for that to happen. Um, Moses wanted to be used by God to rescue God's people. Let my people go. Remember Moses? He wanted, he wanted to be used by God. God had called him. He had to spend though 40 years as, in, as a shepherd for his father-in-law before that was ever going to take place. Um, David was anointed king, 
which was pretty exciting. He was anointed king, but he, then he spent the next several decades running from the king, King Saul, before he actually became king, right? Um, Joseph, who we're going to spend six weeks studying starting the Sunday after Easter. I'm really excited about this, this spring series. That it's going to be a powerful series, but he gets a dream that God's going to use him a bit in a big way. But, but, you know, first there's some seed work that needs to be done. And so he spends some time in prison. And he spends some time in slavery before God finally promotes him many, many years later. You see, we want the through, and we don't get excited very often about the in. And yet, what I want us to pray is I want us to pray, God, what do you want to do in me so that you can accomplish your will through me? So you can accomplish your purpose through me. If farming was um, instant, don't you think there'd be a whole lot more farmers out there, right? Um, I think it'd be much more popular occupation. Let's say you gave me a packet of uh, a watermelon seeds. Oh, here you go, Troy. Thank you. That was really kind of, because I like watermelon. Who didn't? I'm, I like watermelon. And I take those seeds and I put them on the shelf in my garage. Don't think anything of it. And then I, I, I go inside and every, every so often I go out in the garage and I open the door and I take a peek. No, watermelon. So disappointing, right? Yeah. <laughs> nothing. I want the watermelon. There's nothing there. You, you get where I'm going. The seed has life in it. The seed will grow. Amen. But it must be planted if it's going to bring forth the fruit. Amen. So why didn't I plant the watermelon seeds? Well, because when I want watermelon, I want it now. And so I'm probably going to go to the store and get me some, some watermelon. Um, if, if watermelon seeds were like instant mashed potatoes, it'd be a whole different ballgame, wouldn't it? Right? Just take one seed out and pour a little water on that sucker. That, that's, unfortunately, that's not how it works. You got to plant the seeds. You got to cultivate the soil. You got to work the ground. At some point, it just gets easier to go to the store and buy a watermelon. That's how we can approach, oftentimes, the word of God, the, the seed, in regard to what God wants to do in us. And if that's where you're at, if God has been working in you for a while, but you're not seeing the fruit... You, you're waiting for him to work through you, but, but he's still working in you. Here's what I want. I want to encourage you. Don't grow weary. Amen. Don't grow weary. Amen. Keep cultivating the seed. I know it can be frustrating. Maybe you've been reaching out to a coworker or maybe reaching out to a classmate and they just don't seem to respond. They just don't seem to care. Keep your hand to the plow. Don't grow weary. Maybe you've been trying to do some things differently in your marriage and your spouse just doesn't even seem to notice. They're like oblivious to it. Keep your hand to the plow. Don't grow weary. Keep doing it. Maybe you've been trying to do some things better as a parent, and it's just not even, you don't even notice a change at all in your child's behavior or attitude. Don't grow weary. Keep doing it. Keep your hand to the plow. Maybe you're single. You've been trying to honor God in the way that you, um, in your dating life, and uh, you, know, you, you want to make sure that, you, listen, don't grow weary. It seems like nothing's happening. Don't grow weary. Hang in there. God is with you. It may seem like the seed is buried, but it is not buried. The seed is planted. There's a big difference between seed being buried and seed being planted. Um, if, if your soil is right, if you're receiving God's word, then the seed is not buried. The seed is planted. For a while, you might not be able to tell the difference between the seed being buried and the seed being planted. For a while, it might seem like the seed is, is buried when, in fact, it's been planted because the Bible promises us in Philippians, turn over to Philippians, I'll just put it on the screen, Philippians chapter one, verse number six, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you, he who began a good work in you will carry it out to completion until the day of Christ Jesus, in you. In other words, when the seed is in the ground, God is at work. 
So this parable in Mark's gospel chapter four tells, tells us some things that we can do to help the seed grow, but I wanna be clear, we don't grow the seed, God grows the seed. We don't get the credit for growing the seed, God gets the credit for growing the seed. God is the one who grows the seed. Um, but the way, the way God makes the seed grow is similar to the way that, that uh, we make a sailboat move. Uh, when you go sailing, you don't just sit back and do nothing and say, well, I'm in a sailboat, it's gonna go. You have to hoist the sails so that you can catch the wind, put them in the position that they can catch the wind, and that's what we need to do with regard to the soil so that we can, we can have that seed of God's word planted in us properly. God's word will bring a harvest. Someone say amen. amen. God's word will, I mean, it will happen. It will come to pass, but we've got to be, we've got to, the question is, what's our soil like? And so this is the one parable that is so important to Jesus, the only one I can think of, that he actually gives us the interpretation of it himself. He tells us what it means. Because it's that big of a deal to him. In, in Matthew's account of this parable, when Jesus explains it, Jesus, Jesus is the farmer, and his word is the seed, and we're the soil. Let me say it again. Jesus is the farmer, his word is the seed, and we're the soil. But the way we often teach this, preach this, hear this, taught about this parable is we're the farmer and we're scattering the seed and we're hoping that the other people who are the soil, that it will take root in their life. It's not necessarily a bad way of looking at it because there's a lot of agrarian applications, metaphors in the Bible similar to this, but that's not the application that Jesus himself gives about this particular parable. He's not saying that. Jesus says he is the sower and he is the farmer and we are the soil. Why is that important? because we have a tendency to read the parable like this and say, well, God, what do you want to do through me? And Jesus is so clear with this. He's like, I'm not even worried about what, what's gonna happen through you right now. I want you to know that the most important thing right now is what happens in you. Because if you get that right, it's on, it's, it's on, it's, you can't even begin to fathom what I'm gonna do through you. But we've gotta take care of, of what, what's in you first. It's so important that Jesus himself is taking time to explain this, and I think that's pretty powerful. Jesus is the sower, we're the soil, his word is the seed. In other words, we wanna put the focus on, on God, what do you wanna do in me? It all comes down to the condition of the soil, and we can see pretty easily how this plays out in other people, can't we? We can see other people's soil pretty easily. I can see your soil pretty easily. You're throwing seeds. Maybe you're throwing seeds and you're trying to scatter some seeds because God does want you to use you, but they're just bouncing off, just not taking root. Let me illustrate it this way. I heard about Mount Everest climber. His name is Andy Harris. He was a team leader climbing Mount Everest. And he was the first one up as a team leader and also the last one down for safety purposes. They were making the final, final uh, climb. They got to the summit, Mount Everest, and they were coming back down again. Everybody had left except for Andy. He was gonna be the last one coming back down the mountain. As he began to come down, he realized that he was running out of oxygen. So he radioed base camp asking for help, and they replied, Andy, we left you several full tanks of oxygen. They're right there. Well, he, said, he said, they're not there. All of those tanks that you left me are empty. And they're like, Andy, they are not empty. Those tanks are full of oxygen. We didn't make a mistake. We guarantee they're full. Just hook your apparatus up to the new tank and you'll be able to breathe well. But Andy, you're running out of oxygen in your tank and you're not thinking clearly right now. Andy, pay attention. Andy, those are empty, I tell you. 
There's no oxygen inside of them. And the, the base climbers that were at the base camp, or the climbers that were at the base camp, they began to be very frustrated and very anxious beside themselves because it was right there. I mean, it was right there, right in, right in front of him. He would not try the oxygen tanks that they had left him because his brain had been so deprived of oxygen that he wasn't thinking right. Now, you hear me. This is my point. He was missing what was right in front of him because he was missing what was in him. Because of what was missing in him, he could not take care, take hold of the solution of the oxygen that was right in front of him. And as a result, Andy Harris died on Mount Everest with the oxygen right in front of him. I think it's a good picture of what we can see when we look at other people, but we have a hard time seeing when we're looking at ourselves. We can see for someone else that it's right here. I mean, it's, it's, it's right here. This is what God wants for you. If you'll just take that path instead of, if you'll just take that path instead of that path, make that choice in, instead of that choice, things are gonna be completely different for you. But what do they do? They refuse, so they continue down their own path toward destruction, but it's right, it's right there. It's right there. You see it, but they can't see it because why? Because the soil isn't right. It's a condition of the soil. But it can be so much more difficult for us as we look in the mirror. And so I want to conclude the last 10 minutes here by reviewing the types of soil that Jesus shares in this parable. And then hopefully you can see yourself in these soils. So the first soil is, is he calls it the path. Jesus referred to it as the path. It's, it represents a hardened heart. Some soil, he said, fell on the path, and the birds came. It couldn't take root because it was too hard. Some, this soil is you, by the way. So if, if this one is you and you have a hardened heart, the problem with a hardened heart is a hardened heart blinds you to having a hardened heart. You don't know you have a hardened heart because your heart is so hard you can't realize it's hard. It's been trampled down over the years. So many people have walked all over you. And now that, that heart is just, it's impenetrable. So that's, that's, that's the path. There are some symptoms. I thought this is one we should probably talk about a little bit longer than the other two. The other, the other two. But um, the, the symptoms, maybe you're just going through the motions. You've really stopped engaging. Maybe you can ask yourself, ask the Lord, do I have a hardened heart? Because remember, if you have a hardened heart, you're blinded to the fact that you have a hardened heart. Maybe spiritual apathy, you just, I just you have an attitude, just, I don't care, ah, whatever, I don't care. You shouldn't feel that way. You should deeply care. Um, stubborn resistance, you just refuse to surrender. You, you refuse to submit. Man, I'll tell you what, I can recognize this. See, some people don't realize this. I can see you. I, I can see you. You can see me, but I can also see you. And, and relax now, if you're, if, you, if you, this is not, I'm not picking on anybody right now, but, but I, I, I don't know if people always realize that I can see you when I'm preaching. Um, but because I see people going, leaning back, chin up. <laughs> I see you, right? <laughs> Do you not think I see you? I think these lights are so bright. I see you. Um, it, it's that, you can't tell me what to do, spirit. And Jesus said, all authority. And heaven and earth has been given to me. Amen. So I can tell you what to do, right? Not Troy, but Jesus. 
Does that make sense? So yeah, he can can tell you what to do. Sure he can. So if you refuse to submit, you refuse to surrender, um, maybe bitter resentment, you're angry with God. Um, Did you know, I read this week, of Christians, of Christians, Christ followers, only 23% of Christians believe in a loving God. That means almost 70 uh, 75%, a little bit more, uh, believe that God is a God of anger. God is a God of, of, of uh, vengeance. He's just waiting to hammer you. Um, somebody, somebody says to you, you know, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't believe in God. Maybe a good response would be to say something like this, Heather. Um, tell me about the God that you don't believe in. And then they're going to tell you about a God of anger and a God of vengeance. And then your response can very quickly be, I don't believe in that God either. That's not the God I believe in. Let me tell you about the God I believe in. A a God that will leave the 99 and go after the one, right? I I believe in a God that says none should perish. No, but all should come to everlasting life. I I believe in a God that will will give his life for, for me. And for you. So see, a God of love, God, a God that loves me too much to let me do the foolish things that I'm, I want to do, right? Just like a good parent. Think of it this way. Um, you have a child that is running in the... I've got to make up a story, okay? Because I can't think of it. It's running in the park. And for some reason, this park has like a cliff like next to it. I don't know why they build a park there, but let's pretend they do. And there's no fence, obviously, because this is my story. And your, ch- your, ch- your child is running, running, they're running toward the cliff. And you, you, you lost track of your child for just, a, you just turned away for just a second and there they go. And there's a lot of noise, a lot of wind. So you're like, let's, let's say your child's name is um, Hester. Um, so you're like, Hester, I don't know, my name Hester in here? No, good. <laughs> Hester, whoa, Hester. Hester doesn't hear you, and Hester is still running toward the cliff, not knowing that there's a, you know there's a cliff. Hester doesn't know there's a cliff there. And so you, you get, I mean, you get a little bit more serious. Hester, Hester! Now you get the attention of everybody except Hester, right, right? Because Hester's just dialed into running, and the wind's blowing, so finally you get belligerent. I mean, you, I mean, you say whatever you got, you got, you say whatever you have to say to get the attention of your son. Now, okay, excuse me. Sorry, podcast people listening. <laughs> so, so Hester stops. Everybody stops. Hester, you say, get over here. So Hester's walking back. By the way, he had a friend with him, uh, Eugene, that was, was with him. So, so Hester and Eugene were running, going to go up the cliff because they don't know what they're doing. And they turn around, and Hester's walking back and say, hey, Eugene, um, you want to come over to my house and play? What's Eugene going to say? I don't want to go over to your house. Your dad's crazy. Your dad's mean. Your dad's angry. Your dad's vengeful. That's not the truth. Your dad loves you so much that he'll do anything to save you. See, that's... Maybe that helps. So... The path represents a hardened heart. People get so hardened because they misunderstand God's love. That's another 
There's another one. There's rocky places. I think the rocky places represent an emotional response, an emotional response. Uh, Jesus talks about, um, talks about the, uh, the, the, the response to this. Um, in the rocky places, there's no depth. There's really no lasting relationship. This is people who get really on fire for the Lord because they see the goodness of God. Praise God. But because they don't maybe read, study his word, enter into relationship with Christ followers, stay faithful to, to church, which is a good safeguard in your life, a good helpful boundary for you, because they don't make any alterations in their lifestyle, they, they just, they, they, don't, they, don't, they don't last. They, they die. What happens is, this, the scripture actually says this, the conditions change because it says, when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. That's verse number six of chapter four. So in other words, when the conditions change, when the heat of the sun comes out, and conditions are going to change in your life, by the way. In fact, conditions will change from this safe place right in this auditorium as soon as you step out of the auditorium and you go out to the parking lot. As soon as you get out to the intersection, some nut job's going to try to cut you off, and you're going to be, oh, I got to go back to church again, right? Um, So don't let emotional response um, be your your deep root because it's not a deep root. So um, the third one is the thorns. They represent what we passionately pursue. Um, Weeds are reality. And weeds need to be pulled. Um, thorns need to be taken out, but they'll, they'll choke out the life of the harvest from the good seed. And so um, Jesus even talks about these. He like, says the worries of life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desire for other things. These are things that always take our focus off of, of what God's doing in us. And it's focused on the stuff around us. And when we do that, when we get focused on the worries of life, instead of having faith, God's going to work this out. I'm going to do my part. I'm going to be diligent. But God's got this. He's never failed me before. He's not going to fail me again. Every month, I've made my mortgage payment. Every week, we've been able to put groceries on the table. I, I, I survived last week at work. I survived the week before at work. I'll survive this week at work. Right? My child, my child, um, you know, they drove me crazy before, and we got through it. Drive me crazy now. We're going to get through it again. Uh, it's just quit, quit being consumed. By, I'm raising a serial killer. I know I am. Don't be going down that road. You're not doing that, okay? Um, don't, let, don't let the worries of life choke out the, the harvest that God wants to produce in you. Don't let the deceitfulness of wealth, chasing after the pleasure and the stuff and all the things that everybody has, don't let that, don't let that distract you. Start going after that stuff. You, you're going to go down a path that's too dark and too deep. Don't let the desire for other things. I had a conversation with somebody I don't even know uh, on social media. Said that they were um, uh, busy on Sunday morning because they, were, they had two things that they were doing. Water polo uh, for one of their kids and something else for one of their kids on Sunday morning. And I, I thought to myself, what does the world come to? That the, the, the world wants to, is moved in to compete with, used to be, used to be, um, Sundays and Wednesday nights, everything got shut down, even the public schools, because they just knew that it was church, at least where I come from, and it's long stopped since then. But here's the deal. Guys, just, just buckle up a little bit. Don't, don't paint a pattern for your kids that the, the desire for other things takes focus over what God is doing in them. Amen. Stay focused. If you passionately pursue those things, then you're going to end up in a weed field is what you're going to end up in. 
You still got good seed, but it doesn't have much of a chance of survival, okay? So, so I'm just, just cautioning you. Here's a thought. Maybe God is not calling you to throw seeds. Maybe he's calling you to do some soil work in your life. Any farmer will tell you the best part of farming is the harvest, hands down. I think, I'm not a farmer, but I, I used to help my parents in their garden. Um, so I have an authority here. I can speak to this. Um, the second best part of farming, in my opinion, is planting the seeds. Because when, when you actually plant the seeds, you put them in the ground, there's like hope there. There's like, oh, this is exciting. And, but the worst part, I think, and I, would, I think I'm right, um, is, is preparing the soil. It's looking at the piece, it's tilling the ground. It's, it's, that would be fun to drive the tractor. Who wouldn't like that? But the worst part would be preparing the, the ground. I want to remind you, there's only two types of soil here. There's not thorns and path and rocky soil. There's two types. There's good soil and there's bad soil. Amen. There's good soil and there's bad soil. This is talking about you. But here's what I'm going to introduce to you. There's not one of these bad soils that Jesus talks about that can't be redeemed. Amen. You can take a path and you can till it up. It's going to take a lot of work been trampled for so long, but you can turn that path into good soil. You can take the rocks out of the rocky soil. It's going to take a lot of work, but you can do that. You can, you can get the weeds out of, and then thorns out of, the, out of the thorny soil. You can do that. You can redeem the bad soil to make it good soil. And the soil is you, and the soil is me. And the question is, what kind of soil are you right now? It's a transformation that needs to take place. And that transformation, you need the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. And I would even say, we need others for this. See, part of my job isn't necessarily to just plant seeds in other people's lives. My job is to do some weeding, some hoeing in their lives as well. Right? Step over and get dirty. Because if we're just planting the seeds, then we're going to get the credit. Jesus said, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm the farmer. I plant the seeds, which means I get the credit. We don't get the credit. Our job is to work the soil, our own soil, and help others. Why don't you reach over and grab a rock out of their soil? You don't even have to tell them you're doing it. Just just do it. Just just reach over and help transformation take place. The final soil is the good soil. And this represents a responsive heart. That's what you want to have. And God made seed-bearing plants way back in the book of Genesis when he created he hardwired harvest into the seeds. God made seeds. He did that. He made seeds to produce a harvest. When the seed is planted in good soil, it grows. You can't change that. It is a, it's a principle of, of sowing and reaping. Um, and when, what's true of the seed is true of the word of God. God, God hardwired the harvest into his, into his word. When it's planted in good soil, in good soil, it will produce a harvest. You just got to hold on because that seed is not buried. That seed is planted in your life. So let's not forget that, that, for, the, the, that for us to grow, what God wants us to do here in Lathrop and in Western Ranch and the other campuses that we're preparing to start, we have to make sure that we're staying focused on the seed of God's word. It's supernatural. God's word is made to produce a harvest. If it's not producing a harvest, then we've got to ask, what soil is the seed in? Listen, you want to know what I know? Every time that I, I teach or preach, it doesn't matter if I think I hit a, if I pontificate clearly, or if I wax eloquently, if I'm, if I'm at the top of my game or I'm on a bad day, it doesn't matter. If I'm teaching and preaching the word of God, I know that God is working on everybody who is listening. I know that he's doing that. The question is, what's the condition of the soil? That's, the, that, that's not to me. 
It's not up to me. It's up to you. It's up to you. But I do want to help cultivate the soil. Philippians chapter 2, verse number 13. I want to close with, with this verse. For it is God who works in you to will and act according to his good purpose. He's at work in you. The question is, will we receive it? God wants to take what happens to you to accomplish his will in you so that he can fulfill his purpose through you. Your part in the mission, the co-mission with Jesus is to prepare the soil and to receive and to nurture the seed of God's word. So here's the challenge, your homework assignment. You got an action step. I want you to write this down. And I want you to pray this simple prayer every day for the next seven days. God, what do you want to do in me today? Not God, how do you want to use me today? Step away from that for just a week, okay? Not that I'm telling you you shouldn't be service-driven people, for you should be. But I want you to focus for just a week on this one simple prayer. God, what do you want to do in me today? Some of you, God's been trying to get your attention for a long time. Over and over again, he's been ringing the bell. You want me to do something through you. You've been waiting on the blessing. You've been waiting on the miracle. You've been waiting on the breakthrough. God's like, yeah, it's important to me. But what's more important to me as he's ringing the bell is what's happening in you. Can you acknowledge and recognize what's happening in you? It's pretty powerful. It's pretty amazing. And nobody, the only ones that can celebrate, like Trinity did earlier, she did an awesome job, can celebrate the lean years are the ones who aren't in the lean years anymore. You know what I'm talking about? But here's the deal. The lean years don't happen once. How many How many have lived long enough to know that, right? Yeah, it's, it's just cycle, cyclical. And um, ask him, what do, you want, what do you want to do in me today, God? Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you, Lord, for your word. I am so grateful to be a part of a church that is hungry and wants to hear the word of God. Lord, there's so many other things we could talk about in the 45 minutes we have to share and to teach once a week. But God, it's, why would we want to stray from your word? Because your word is, is truth. Your word is life. It produces a harvest. God, we ask that that harvest would come. But we pray, God, um, in unity, we pray that you would do something in us and we would recognize that, that, that he who began a good work in me is going to be faithful to complete it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So, Lord, have your will and your way in us is our prayer. Jesus. 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 Would you stand with me? Just stand with me. Would you stand, please? God. I just really don't believe that the Lord is done yet. And for some of you, you may have already checked out. You just be patient. But for those of you that haven't checked out yet, I got to believe there's at least, at least one or two people in here that have taken your eyes off of the, the in me. And you're so dogged focused, dog determined focused on the through me or even the for me that, 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 that you're trying to skip the step of what God wants to do in you. And I wonder if maybe as a confession today, you would say to the Lord, God, you know, it's painful to hear. It's frustrating to hear if I'm going to be honest, but I choose intentionally today to take my eyes off of what I want to happen and what I need 
to hear, to experience, to embrace. So Lord, I, I take my focus off of the through me and even the for me, and I, I put the focus on what's happening in me. Lord, I, I, I need your help with this because I, I feel like I'm up against it. And God is saying, peace be still, child. I've never lost control. I know exactly what I'm doing. There were generations before you and there'll be generations after you that have experienced the exact same thing you're experiencing. Allow me to help you and work in you. Then you'll experience the abundant blessings through you and for you. Is there anybody here that would raise their hand and say, Troy, I receive that word today from God, that I, I receive that word today from God. Lord, let it happen. Let it happen in me. Let me not lose my focus. Let me not take my eyes off the prize. Lord, let me remember that he who began a good work in me, the seed has been planted. It has not been buried. I will, I will experience, I will reap a harvest if the soil is good. So God, I'm not going to let the, I'm not going to have a hardened heart. I'm not going to let it happen, Lord. I, I absolutely refuse to allow myself to have a hardened heart. I'm not going to allow myself to have an emotional response. I'm not going to passionately pursue the things of this world. But I'm going to have a responsive heart to you, God. And, and, and what you're doing in me, oh, it's going to provide a breakthrough. You're going to use me. And I look forward to that day. Thank you, Jesus. We give you praise. We give you glory. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Amen. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May he lift up his countenance upon you. May he give you rest. And may he give you peace. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Give the Lord a hand clap. God bless you, friends. Have a great Sunday. You are dismissed. Amen.